Welcome into the Nick Bob Podcast, coming to you live from the AOI Studios, a.k.a. my basement office. I absolutely love this office, and when I was making my office into a podcast room, I had a vision of what I wanted, and AOI made it come true. The desk, the design of it, the chairs, it's all comfortable, it looks great, I love it. And I've told you about the desk and the Aeron chair from Herman Miller, but AOI does it all. Whether it's construction or furniture, AOI will help make your ideas a reality just like they did for me. So you gotta check out AOI on the web, aoicorp.com or give them a ring, 402-896-5520. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, just click that subscribe button, uh, because man, we've had some good stuff. If you missed it, uh, the pod's been on fire, man. Jay Billis was on last week. Make sure you go check that out. Had Bill Raftery on the podcast a few weeks ago. He was great. Bo Rude and I had a super entertaining wine podcast. If you're not familiar with what wine pods are, Bo Rude and I, we split a bottle of wine. The podcast is not over until the bottle of wine is empty. Those are always a blast. So tons and tons of good stuff. So again, make sure you subscribe. Okay, on the pod today, it's just me. And you. So let's, it's like you and I are hanging out right now. We got some hoops to talk about with Creighton and Nebraska. So let's do this. Uh, so Creighton, we'll start with the Blue Jays. They went on the road to New York City and got beat pretty darn good by St. John's, 91 to 71. Obviously pretty disappointing after the, the, the hype Really was picking up. Creighton was ranked 10th in the country. And Mike DeCourcy of, of Fox's, uh, his bracketology had Creighton a two seed. I mean, things were getting really, really exciting. And it was shaping up to be potentially a magical final week of the regular season because Creighton was in position. They controlled their own destiny with winning the Big East regular season crown. And now with one 40-minute game, uh, in New York City, that has kind of changed. If Seton Hall beats Villanova this week, it's over. Seton Hall, uh, they're your your Big East champs, which is you know frustrating. Now it's not it's not all lost right now. I mean, Villanova could could win. You know, Villanova uh, could go to Seton Hall uh, in the middle of the week here and and knock off uh, the Pirates, and then it's game on. But nevertheless, frustrating and and disappointing day on Sunday afternoon for Creighton. Now, hindsight's always 2020, but I would I was saying this before. I hated the week off for Creighton. Hated it. Absolutely despised it. Creighton had an entire week off last week. They played Butler on Sunday afternoon and they didn't play at St. John's until the following Sunday. Listen, when you are playing well, when you are rolling and Creighton was playing well and rolling after they had demolished Butler. When you're hot and you're rolling, you just want to keep playing. You want to keep on playing. Basketball is a rhythm and, and kind of confidence and timing and momentum sport. And when you got it, you just want to keep on playing. And I thought Creighton looked a little flat. I thought Creighton looked a little stuck in the mud at times. I mean, I, you know what? Creighton looked like a team that had been off for a week. I mean, I've I've gone through similar things like that in my career with basketball where, you know, with however the schedule falls, you're off for a week and you lose it a little bit. Like one of the things that I always hated about when Creighton was in the Missouri Valley Conference was, remember, Arch Madness, the Missouri Valley Conference tournament was played a week before all the other conference tournaments. So 
I remember when we won the Valley Tournament my junior year, 2007, we had to wait like a full two weeks almost before we played in the NCAA tournament. It's like we were playing well, and we just want you want to keep on playing. So I, I and this isn't just hindsight 2020. Like I hated the week off. I, I thought it was poor. I, I thought it was frustrating in terms of its timing. Uh, but you know, you, listen, you got to be able to overcome that, right? And for a, a team in Creighton that was playing for a chance at a Big East crown, you expected more urgency than that. And it just wasn't there. So that was a little disappointing. But but here is the thing. All right, everybody get ready. I'm gonna go, uh, I'm gonna go Colin Cowherd or uh, you know, old school Nick Ba game time radio analogy on you right now. You ready? You guys remember the movie Gremlins? I'm not sure. I maybe got some some younger podcast listeners, but you know, people my age, 35, 40, 45, 50, like you guys probably all watched uh, at some point, watched the movie gremlins. Remember there are those little creatures. They're yeah, silly yet kind of sneaky, entertaining movie. But you remember with gremlins, there were, remember there were three rules with taking care of them. Remember there were three, if you had a gremlin, there were three rules you had to abide by or adhere if you were taking care of them. Remember, it was the, the rules were don't get them wet, don't expose them to bright light, and don't feed them after midnight. Those are the rules of taking care of, of gremlin, a gremlin. Well, I have three rules or realities for Creighton basketball. These are three rules, three realities that exist, and they have to be followed or Creighton's going to be in trouble. Here we go. Three rules for Creighton basketball. Number one, Marcus Zagorowski has to play well. Listen, I know Tyshawn Alexander is getting a lot of love and deservedly so. But if you if you listen to this podcast, you know I've been consistent on this. Marcus Zagorowski is the guy for Creighton, period. He's the MVP, he's the engine, he's the catalyst, he's the straw that stirs the drink. He makes the whole thing go. He has to play well for Creighton to click and win. So Creighton, you look at him, they only have seven losses on the year now. But three of them, three of the seven losses have been ass kickings where Creighton just kind of got dominated and popped. San Diego State, Rock Creighton, 83-52. Providence, Rock Creighton, 73-56. 73-56. And then St. John's rocked Creighton pretty good, 91-71. When you look at it, the common thread, one of the common threads with all those games is Zegarowski struggled. Against St. John's, he was 1-for-10 from the floor. Against Providence, he was 1-for-10 from the floor. And against San Diego State, he was 3-of-16 from the floor. And it's not just scoring, it's everything. Zegarowski was turning the ball over. He wasn't, you know, he just wasn't running the show. Creighton is going to have a really hard time winning when he doesn't play well. I mean, listen, there's been games where Mitch Ballack, Mitch Ballack, I mean, he went 0 for 7 at Seton Hall. At Seton Hall. Creighton won, scored 87 points. Let me let me tell you something right now. Marcus Zegarowski goes 0 for 7 from the floor at Seton Hall. There ain't no way in hell Creighton's winning that game. 
There's been games where Tyshawn Alexander's maybe been a little quiet. They're still solid. There's been games where Damian Jefferson goes 0 for 5. Creighton's still solid. There's been games Christian Bishop's been struggling. Creighton's still solid. Telling you, when Zagorowski doesn't play well, Creighton struggles. And he, he didn't play well against St. John's. So that's rule or reality of Creighton number one. Number two, they got to make threes. They got to make threes. Now, listen, I don't think it's fair to marginalize Creighton as a total live by the three, die by the three team because they're a little more well-rounded than that. But at the end of the day, Creighton is an undersized team that sometimes puts five five guards on the floor and they're built from the three-point line. And when Creighton doesn't shoot it well from three, they can have a hard time. You look at some of their losses against St. John's uh, over the weekend. Creighton was four for 27 from three. Against Providence on the road, Creighton was six of 27 from three. Against San Diego State in November, Creighton was four of 23 from three. On the road at Butler, Creighton was four of 22 from three. Against Villanova at home, Creighton was three of 14 from three. You get the point. They need to make threes. They are a team that is built from beyond the arc. So naturally, that needs to be there for this group. It's just like, I don't know why sometimes like live by the three, die by the three has such like a negative, like it's it's sometimes almost used as like a like a really like like there's an an underlining uh ne- negative connotation to it. To me, it's no different than like how a lot of certain teams are built. Like, like I'll use a football example here. It's like Nebraska football in the 90s or even Wisconsin football nowadays. How are those teams built? The offensive line, running back, run, you know, they're, they're, they are football teams built to run the ball, right? They have to have success running the ball. And when they don't, they struggle. Same thing with Creighton. When Creighton is built from the three-point line, and when they don't make threes, they're going to have a hard time. So that is reality slash rule number two for Creighton to be successful. And rule slash reality number three, they can't have bad or below-average three-point shooters go off on them. Let me unpack this for you. So Creighton is obviously undersized, right? We've explained that. I mean, Christian Bishop starts at center at six foot seven. They play small ball with Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney at the four and the five. Both those guys are basically guards. Both guys are six five. They're small. And because of that, they need all hands on deck, pack in the lane to guard the paint and to gang rebound. So a big part of what Creighton does with their defensive game plan is they pick a few guys on each team who don't shoot the ball well from three and play off those guys and protect the paint and dare those dudes to make shots. And you know what? More often than not this year, it's worked. But against St. John's, Creighton got burned by it. St. John's came into that game as the worst three-point shooting team in the Big East percentage-wise. Creighton... Naturally, then sagged into the lane, protected the paint, dared St. John's to knock down some some threes, and the Johnnies were red hot. 
St. John's knocked down a season-high 14 threes. They were on fire. I mean, they they had shot 30% from three as a team all season. Like, that's not good at all. That's bad. That's like around 260th in the country. That's bad. They're not a good three-point shooting team. And they made 14 threes. So, you know, Creighton plays the percentages. You know, they sell out to take away the paint and dare bad or below average shooters to make threes. It's what they've done all year. And it's, again, it's yielded pretty good results. Creighton was ranked 10th in the country, winning games. But they got torched by St. John's. And you know what? That's kind of, you know, when you are deficient in a certain area, like size and rim protection, you got to do what you got to do to to make up for your weakness, right? And to cover up for your weakness and try to force a team to play into their weakness, like that that's kind of how the plan is for the Blue Jays, which for St. John's was three-point shooting. And sometimes you say, as a coach, whether it's football, basketball, whatever, you, you say, we are taking away this. If a team does that, and, and it works, we'll shake their hand. And that's what happened. To go back to the football thing, it's like playing Nebraska football, playing against Nebraska football, whether, you know, when Tommy Armstrong's a quarterback or Tommy Frazier or Scott Frost was a quarterback, and saying, all right, here's the deal. We are selling out to stop the run. We're going we're gonna to put nine guys, ten guys in the box. We are selling out to stop the run. And if they torch us and throw for 300 yards through the air, we'll shake their hand after the game. Same school of thought for Creighton's game plan, not only against St. John's, but a lot of teams. They said, listen, we're undersized. We are gonna, we're going to pick one or two guys. We're going to pack the lane. We're going to gang rebound. We're going to protect the rim. And if a team knocks down a bunch of threes with some below average to bad three-point shooters, we'll shake their hand. Well, unfortunately, against St. John's, Creighton had to shake St. John's hand and say, you did it. So there you go. Those are the three realities slash rules for Creighton basketball to be successful. Number one, Marcus Zagorowski has to play well. Number two, Creighton has to make threes. And number three, Creighton is in trouble if bad or below average three-point shooters on the other team makes threes. So everyone still needs to, you know, take a deep breath, relax. All of Creighton, Creighton's goals are still in front of them. They can, they, there is a scenario where Creighton can still, you know, share the regular season Big East crown. They can still go make some noise in New York City at the Garden in the Big East tournament. They can still get like a three seed in the NCAA tournament, and they can still go make a run in the NCAA tournament. It's all still out there. But those rules that I just laid out have to be obeyed. Let me shift to Nebraska because I was on the call. I was on uh, the Big Ten Network with Kevin Kugler for Northwestern at Nebraska on Sunday afternoon. And man, oh man, I've never seen anything like that. Nebraska lost in overtime to Northwestern, but Nebraska went 8 for 30 from the free throw line. Yes, you heard it correct. Eight for 30. In all my years of playing basketball and watching basketball and calling basketball games, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, it was unbelievable. 
in a lot of ways, a, a big part of the story of Nebraska's season has been poor free throw shooting and missed layups. Like that's kind of, three prevailing things about Nebraska. They're a poor rebounding team. They miss a bunch of layups. They're not good at converting when they get to the rim. And they're one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country. I think they rank 351st in the country out of 353 teams. I mean, and when those three things kind of define you, winning is hard. And winning has been tough for this team. And, you know, with free throw shooting, because there is, you know, after an eight for 30 performance from the free throw line, there's been a lot of tweeting and talking about free throw shooting. I mean, with free throw shooting, and not to toot my own horn here, but I was I was a good free throw shooter. I was a good free throw shooter. I, I still hold the Nebraska state record with making 58 consecutive free throws at Lincoln Southeast. So I was a good free throw shooter. And here's the thing about free throw shooting. It is so much more mental than people think. You, you are either comfortable and confident at the line or you aren't. I was a good free throw shooter, but I'll, or I was a good shooter, period. But I was also fortunate to gain confidence at the free throw line while I was growing up and early on in high school. So I felt good when I was there. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be at the line. But I played with guys who weren't, and it shows. And when you watch Nebraska, they are all just terrified of the free throw line. All of them. It's clearly in their head. And there are a lot of things that coaches can remedy and fix with a basketball team or a basketball player. Free throw shooting is a tough one, man. You can drill it and, and make guys shoot a bunch at practice. You know, in high school, we had to shoot 50 a day. And we got, you know, we had to chart it every day. Coach Smith, Jeff Smith, the house coach, we had to we had to shoot 50 free throws a day. We'd report every day what we made. You can you can do different drills where, you know, everyone's on the the whole team's on the baseline. You call out one guy, Nick, come up. You have to make two free throws. If you miss them, we're all running, you know, so you're doing them with some pressure, whatever. You can you can do every drill in the book with it. But at the end of the day, when you get in the game, it's just you the ball, the hoop, and all eyes on you. And you are either mentally good there or you aren't. And Nebraska isn't and wasn't against Northwestern. And those missed free throws were killer. Not not only because you aren't getting points, right? That's the obvious thing. But they're just momentum and morale killers, right? Like so many times Nebraska was ready to go on a run, the crowd was rolling, and they'd go miss two free throws. And then it becomes contagious where you could feel it. I mean, I was in Pinnacle Bank Arena. You could feel it. Every time Nebraska would go to the free throw line, there was like a, a groan from like, like, it was like, oh, God. Like no, there was from the guy sitting in the top row to Deshaun Burke to Ivan Woodrow, like everyone was just, you could feel it. And it was, t- it was tough to watch. It was. And man, in a game that featured two teams, Nebraska and Northwestern, that needed a win bad, that one really hurts for Nebraska to walk away with a loss. Heading into that game, now think about this. 
Heading into that game on March 1st, Northwestern had won one game since December 15th. They had won one game since December 15th. 15th. It was against Nebraska. And heading into that game, Nebraska hadn't won a game since January 7th. That's a long time to not taste a victory. So both those teams, and I had the opportunity to talk to Chris Collins for the game, talk to Fred Hoiberg for the game. They both were saying, man, we need, we need a win. We just, we need to taste it. The guys need it. And the reality is Nebraska should have won that game by 10 to 15 points. I mean, it should have. But that's, that's kind of been par for the course this year with, with this team. Nebraska just couldn't get over the hump. I mean, it's amazing. Nebraska turned the ball over 21 times and went 8 for 30 from the free throw line, and the game went into overtime. I mean, that's – you turn the ball over 21 times and, and go 8 for 30 from the free throw line, you would think you were getting, you'd get crushed. But they didn't, you know. Nebraska could have won that game, but the reality is they didn't. And now they are staring down the barrel of not winning another game for the rest of the season. It's just it's tough. But beyond the game, I was, I was thinking about this driving home after the game from Pinnacle Bank Arena. So Nebraska and Northwestern, two teams that have, obviously they've had bad years, right? But are kind of building for the future. But within that, Nebraska and Northwestern are in different situations. When you look at Northwestern, they're going to have a lot of the same guys on the floor next year, right? Miller Cop, Boo Booey, Ryan Young, Pete Nance. Like, they're going to have a lot of the same guys on the floor. You know what? Nebraska won't. Nebraska's not, I don't think they're going to. And it's not because they're losing a bunch of guys to graduation. So it's interesting. Like, you... When you, so when you think about that, like building for the future, Nebraska's in a weird spot with it, right? Like it, so you look around the Big Ten, you look at teams like Rutgers and Penn State and Illinois, three Big Ten teams that you can point to as examples, if you're Nebraska or Northwestern, of teams that took their lumps and lost a lot last year, but grew from it, learned from it, and came back and are having good seasons this year. I mean, you look at it, Rutgers was 14 and 17 last year. Penn State was 14 and 18 last year. Illinois was 12 and 21 last year. This year, they're all having good years. But again, those teams, the guys, their core from a year ago are the same dudes this year. Northwestern fits in that category. Nebraska doesn't from the standpoint of their their core is going to be different. I've talked about this, but it bears repeating. Like, you think about next year, Nebraska's core is going to be Delano Delano Banton, Derek Walker, Shamil Stevenson, Teddy Allen, Lat Mayan, the the Juco transfer, Kobe King, the Wisconsin transfer, who I do think is probably going to get a waiver to be eligible immediately. That's six guys right there, and then you'll – you know, then you'll get to your, you know, Cam Mack and and maybe Ivan Woodrowgo and maybe Deshaun Burke and maybe Thurier Thurman Yarnison. But the the first six guys I named, the, the, that's going to be the core. Those guys aren't playing this year. 
So it's an interesting situation. You know, Nebraska is building for the future, but not with this core group currently. Right? Like, it's, it's odd. It's a new core group. They're going to have to take it up a notch. And, you know, you can get away with bringing in a bunch of, of new players, a bunch of newbies, when the talent level is there. Right? Like, the hard part about this year, because someone would go, well, why are people so confident that Nebraska is going to be good next year when, you know, everybody was saying, well, this team was brand new. Why is next year's brand new team going to be better? Well, because they're more talented. Like, with, with the core group of the guys that I just named, the talent is there. The talent is there. Like, I think the, the biggest thing that Fred Hoiberg wanted to get established this year Sure, you want to win games and all that stuff. And like, I think one of the biggest things he wanted to get established this year was a style of play and an identity. And he's done that. Nebraska, you know, they want to play fast. They want to play with great pace. They want to take a lot of threes, all that stuff. They've done that. Nebraska, their average possession length, according to Ken Palm, is the seventh fastest in the country. So that has gotten established, which is good. So although it may feel like Nebraska and Northwestern are in similar situations, you know, both teams have had tough years. Both teams are establishing foundations for the future. They are, they are in kind of like different lanes of the same path for that future. Northwestern is going to bring back their entire core and have the same dudes on the floor next year. Nebraska, it will likely be all brand new guys on the floor, a brand new core. And one of the harsh realities about this Nebraska team this year, and it's hard to say it, but it's true. They just aren't talented enough. They just aren't. And I believe the core group that will be on the floor next November, next year for Nebraska basketball, wearing Nebraska uniforms, will be talented enough. They will be talented enough. All right, there you go. Little Creighton, Nebraska talk. Again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Again, it is officially March. This is uh, my favorite time of year. I'm going to have some uh, some really, really Fun stuff for you once the NCAA tournament gets rolling. You know, I'll give you bracket previews, matchup previews, all that stuff. I mean, so for March Madness, my my pod is is for you. Okay, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Just click that subscribe button, throw it a rating and review. Until next time, I will holler at you on the Nick Ba podcast. Thank you.